one of the pastors here. May the Lord be with you. I've been uh, a little self-conscious this morning because people have been greeting me, and when they greet me, they haven't been looking me in the eye. They've been looking me in the forehead. And some of you are brave enough to go, what happened to your forehead? And ask me. Some of you were not brave enough to ask about that. So to put you at ease and keep from staring at my forehead, I got hit with a shovel. That's what happened to my forehead. Um, I've also been a little self-conscious for the last couple days about this sermon because we plan these things out four, five, six months ahead of time, and I didn't plan a flood sermon for today, and I got to thinking about whether or not I should have. The sermon is actually about us, and I got to thinking that I'm going to be okay because the flood's going to come and go, and you have to live with yourself for a lot longer than that. So we're looking at how Jesus sees things, and the question today is how Jesus sees us. What does Jesus see when he looks at us? And we're going to start by looking at a passage of Scripture in John chapter 5. So I'd like to invite you to take a Bible out, open up your own Bible or grab a Bible in the chair, open up your iPhone or whatever you've got to read Scripture on. John chapter 5. Another story of Jesus interacting with people in the world and then try to pay attention to what is Jesus seeing in this situation. John chapter 5. I'm going to start reading with verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool, and when the water is stirred, and while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And then the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. This is God's word and it's true and we can rely on it. What is the first thing you think when you look at yourself in the mirror? Do you like what you see? Or is your eye drawn to some kind of blemish or some fault or something that's wrong? What do you think? Do you like to look at yourself in the mirror? Or do you try to avoid looking at yourself in the mirror? Some of us notice our flaws immediately and that's all we see. We never get our attention drawn back to them. Sometimes some of us are smitten with our good looks. 
I want you to watch this little video clip of a little kid who's engaged in some self-talk while looking at herself in the mirror. Look, I can be a shark. Now, my whole house is great. I can do anything good. I like my school. I like anything. I like my dad. I like my cousins. I like my aunts. I like my Allisons. I like my mom. I like my sisters. I like my dad. Okay, what do you think? I think we all should start our day that way, don't you think? Get in front of the mirror and do a little, I like my hair, I like myself, I like my house, I like everything. And uh, maybe optional on, on the vanity, maybe an optional pose for you, you might not want to try that. Do you think this little girl has healthy self, self-esteem or not? It, it seems pretty healthy. But sometimes it can be a pretty fine line between uh, really healthy, positive self-esteem and someone who's like an egomaniac or a narcissist. I'm so full of themselves, they can't see anything wrong. They're like, aren't I awesome? I mean, I'm a gift to the world. can be a fine line from that. It can also be kind of a fine line between someone who has maybe a realistic self-image, but they slip into kind of beating up on themselves. They don't like each other, themselves. They don't like something about themselves. They beat themselves up. That can be kind of a fine line too. So too much self-esteem, that's not good. Too little self-esteem, that's not good. When you look in the mirror, are you more likely to say, I'm awesome, or are you more likely to say, I'm awful? Or do you fall somewhere in the middle? Where do you fall when you look in the mirror? Now, Jesus doesn't have a lot to say about self-esteem, but I found some parables that had to do with how we look at ourselves. And maybe a more common way to talk about this in that day would have been self-knowledge. Do you have accurate knowledge about yourself? And you think about that while you listen to uh, this little parable. It's from Luke 18. For some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, not like robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I've got. And if I paraphrase this guy's prayer, he's saying, Dear God, thank you that I'm awesome. That's what he's praying. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, if we paraphrase that prayer, we would probably say, God, I am awful. So which one of these things do you think impressed Jesus the most? Which one of these postures? Well, Jesus goes on to say, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so as is typically the case, Jesus looks at things different than we might expect, different than I I might expect. And so we're trying to see like Jesus sees because we believe that if we see things like Jesus sees them, then we're going to live like Jesus wants us to live or we'll be more likely to live that way anyway. 
Um, Jesus would have framed his kind of picture of humanity, what it's like to be a person, from the Hebrew Scriptures. These are the things he would have been nurtured on while he was a little boy. And so he would have heard things like this from Genesis 1.26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let him rule over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Genesis 2.7. Then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being. Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and have crowned him with glory and majesty. Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. These are I am awesome passages. When we read these passages, we look, you know what? God made us in His very image, every one of us. He put us together fearfully and wonderfully. We are awesome. But Jesus also knew passages like these. This one comes from Genesis 6, 5. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man, that it was great, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is more deceitful than anything else. It is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Ecclesiastes 7.20 Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Or Isaiah 64.4 All of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. That'll, that'll hurt your self-esteem. The best things you can do They're like filthy rags. This is a I am awful passage from Scripture. So it seems like there's this tug-of-war, isn't there, between I am awesome and I am awful. And I don't know if you experience it, but I experience it all the time. There's days when I wake up and the sun is shining and life is good and I am awesome, I got to tell you. And I get good things that happen to me, and I get some positive reinforcement. I stand in front of the mirror in my underwear and sing, I am awesome. (laughs) And then there's other days when there's circumstances that hit me, and I go, you know what? I am a failure. I'm a loser. I'm a bum. I can't do anything right. I can't figure stuff out. I look terrible. Got bags under my eyes. I'm awful. It's a tug of war. Anybody else ever feel tugged like that? Now, how do we have a healthy self-esteem? How do we, where, where are we supposed to fall in that spectrum? And how do we f- find a way to stay there? I'm wondering if it has to do with looking at ourselves the way Jesus looks at us. Now, this self-knowledge is kind of an interesting thing, and we're not the first people to think about this. There's actually an interesting passage, if you've ever read any of John Calvin, if you're like into good Reformed theology, he wrote this classic book. And the very first thing he writes about in this book is about what true wisdom is. And he says, true wisdom includes the knowledge of two things. Would you like to guess what the knowledge is, that knowledge is? To have true wisdom, you need knowledge of two things. Knowledge of God and knowledge of self. You've got to know God and you've got to know yourself. And then he goes on throughout this entire book to describe that knowledge of God and of ourselves. Now, Jesus, I think, touches on these two things in this passage of John 5. Knowledge of self and knowledge of God. Um, 
So there's this legend that if you go to the pool of Bethesda, that uh, when the water is stirred up, like an angelic presence comes down, stirs the water, and when somebody gets in there, the first one in gets healed. And so there's a collection of people who are sick and hurting around this pool, waiting for this next sign to happen. One of the individuals who's around this pool has been there for 38 years, and he's described as an invalid, which means the water stirs. He's not close enough to be the first one in, and so someone gets in ahead of him, so he's never been in the water. Now, what do you suppose this guy thinks about when he looks at himself in the mirror? How would he describe himself? Invalid. 38 years old, you know, his life's wasting away, cast off from society. He's got nobody to put him in, so he's lonely, maybe he's got no friends. He's kind of a complainer. I mean, if you read the passage, I'm reading this into it, but he's kind of complaining about his situation. That's who this man thinks. And then there's not a word about his faith. We're not really told that he believes in Jesus. Um, in fact, he's not even aware of who was the guy who helped him out, which is kind of an interesting part of the story. This guy heals him, and then Jesus slips away, and the guy doesn't even pay attention. It, it does make me wonder if the guy's a little bit narcissistic, even in this state of being an invalid. He goes to the religious leaders. They ask him the question, who healed you? He can't give him an answer, but then later he's off in the temple and he finds Jesus, and Jesus gives him a little bit of a warning. He's like, well, you, you think you had it bad. Be careful, because there's some worse things that could happen to you than being an invalid by the side of the pool, so don't go off and sin anymore. And then the guy immediately goes and squeals to the authorities and says, yeah, it was Jesus who did this. Who is this guy? He sounds like a bum to me. He's not grateful. No gratitude, no humility, he's, and he doesn't have guts to even face up to the fact that he's carrying his mat, and he's been on the welfare rolls for 38 years. Uh, he doesn't sound like he deserves to be healed, does he? What do you think? And yet, Jesus heals him. So what is Jesus seeing? Is he seeing, here's a man made in God's image? Is he seeing... This, this man, this invalid, is a child of God. This man is fearfully and wonderfully made. This man is loved. Loved by God, loved by Jesus. Jesus heals him. Self-knowledge, it seems to me, comes by uh, acknowledging this tug-of-war between I am awesome and I am awful. And trying to recognize how is it that we can live with both of those things being true at the same time. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and I am desperately wicked. How can I live with both those things being true of me all the time? This seems to be what Jesus sees. And then here's how Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 10. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of our Father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Jesus sees that we are awesome. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, made in the image of God. He sees that we are desperately wicked. He sees that. And he says, you are worth more than many sparrows. 
Jesus says in Mark 7, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that the evil thoughts come. He sees that we're awful. Then Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So much of our kind of culture, when it talks about self-knowledge, talks about, well, you've got to know yourself and be true to yourself. That's your key to success. Jesus says, deny yourself and follow me. He doesn't say this in a sense that says we're supposed to cheapen our worth, that we're not of value, but to remember that our value does not come from who we are. Our value does not come from what we do. This is not what defines us as people. This is not what makes us have worth. We have worth because God made us. And nothing we do ever changes that worth. Nothing that happens to us ever changes that worth or that value. Our value and worth comes from the fact that we are not our own, but we belong, body and soul, life and death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. This is where our worth comes from. It comes from Jesus, who has fully paid for all of our sins with His precious blood. He gave His very life for us, awesome, awful people. This is what gives us worth. So that not a hair can fall from our heads without the will of our Father in heaven so that all things work together for our good according to His will. This is how Jesus sees us. And this is how Jesus responds to all the people that He meets. He sees them as awesome and awful. And He loves them. When Jesus saw the crowd, He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This condition of being awesome and awful does sometimes feel a little harassing, doesn't it? And then Jesus gives an invitation to all of us who get worn out trying to figure out who we are. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You awesome, awful people, come to Jesus and find rest. That's how Jesus sees it. This is the gospel, actually. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. We are. We're awful. Yet, at the same time, we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared believed. We're awesome. So how comfortable are you with this? How comfortable are you living with this tug-of-war between you're awesome and you're awful? Can you stay there? And when you're living in that place, can you recognize this love of God that keeps coming down no matter what? It just keeps coming no matter what. And that's what we want to spend a little time kind of developing here at the end of this message. i got one more little video clip I want to show you. And this is a video that I was watching and it made me think about how big this issue is of being comfortable with who we are. And how can we get to that stage? And then we're going to have a little exercise of prayer right after the video. So watch this video and think about how comfortable you are with your own, in your own skin.
Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, let's do this. Scene Zebra, take one. Mark? So we've got one question that we want to ask you today. Okay, well, what's that question? The question is, if you could change one thing about your body, what would it be? Um, only one. <laughs> um, I would change my forehead. I have a really big forehead. I'd like to be taller. The puffiness of my face. My ears. I have big ears. Stretched marks after having a baby. <laughs> a lot of times, like, kids would make fun of me, like, hey man, you got big ears, you got Dumbo over there, you know? Definitely my skin, because I've dealt with acne and eczema issues ever since I was a little kid. Growing up, like a lot of people call me like five head, and I'd be like, your forehead's so big, they've always like would say something to me about it. When I was younger, I felt like I wasn't quite adequate enough. Can you sit on the chair? No. All right, I'm going to ask you one question. What's the question? If you could change one thing about your body, what would you change? Um, hmm. Um, you know, have a mermaid tail. Probably like a shark mouth. So I could eat a lot of stuff. I could have teleportation in my body. Extra pointy ears. I want legs like a cheetah so I can run faster like a cheetah. I could have wings. Like fly. I don't think there's anything to change. I like my body, actually. Yeah, you wouldn't change anything? Nothing else. Just my main tail. A lot of people obsess about getting older and about the wrinkles. I love my white hair. I loved it when it started turning white. It's one of those things, because I chose to stay this way, because it just wouldn't be me if I totally changed the way I look. So that raised two questions for me. One was, if we see ourselves the way Jesus sees us, can we just be comfortable in our own skin, first of all? And then the second question was about, um, are we comfortable with where we're at spiritually with God? Do we feel like we're comfortable just approaching God no matter what? And this, this actually impacts my prayer life, my walk with God. When I am not really comfortable with where I'm at, I am reluctant to go to God. 
can we break down some of those barriers? And we want to pray a little uh, prayer this morning based on the chorus that we've been learning the last few weeks uh, about boldly approaching the throne of grace. And um, we're going to play through this, and this is one of the things we didn't get a chance to practice this morning because I got derailed. So we're just going to wing it. How's that? And uh, let's start by, do we have the choruses and the verse available? Or just the chorus? Okay, so the chorus is available. We're going to sing the chorus through a couple times, and then I'm going to lead us in a prayer. So let's go into an attitude of prayer. God, as we come before you this morning, we admit, first of all, that we are people who can sometimes be too full of ourselves. Uh, We think that we are awesome and for all the wrong reasons. And God, we also admit that in this tug of war, we are sometimes pulled to think of ourselves much too lowly and to depreciate ourselves. And so, God, as we come before you this morning, I pray that you would help us to learn to be comfortable in our own skin as people who are both awesome and awful at the same time, and yet we are able to come right into your very presence. And we thank you for that. Only I approach your throne Blameless now I'm running Sometimes, God, when we don't like ourselves enough or like ourselves too much, we run away from you. Instead of running into your arms, God, we flee from your presence. We don't want to hear your word. We don't want to seek your face. We don't want to follow you. And yet, God, we know whether or not we are thinking too much or too little of ourselves that you are God who is there waiting for us to come to you. I approach your throne Blameless now I'm running home By your blood I come Welcomed as your own Into the arms of majesty God, we know that sometimes uh, condemnation grips our hearts. We know that sometimes Satan tempts us to despair. We think that we are people who are too awful, too undeserving. We know that this is a a lie of the deceiver because we know that you are there 
that you pull us close with nail-scarred hands into your everlasting arms. Your throne, blameless how I'm running home. By your blood I come, welcomed as your own, into the arms of majesty. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Boldly I approach your throne. Blameless now I'm running home By your blood I come Welcomed as your own Into the arms of majesty As you continue to uh, reflect and worship about God's invitation for us to come boldly to his house. I hope that you'll grow in uh, your comfort in your own skin and wherever you're at spiritually, that God is wooing us and calling us and he wants us to come right into his very arms. So let's sing this chorus one more time as we conclude our prayer. Boldly I approach your throne now I'm running home. By your blood I come, welcomed as your own, into your arms of majesty.